Welcome to the Conditional Relief Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crims, and con artists. We don't like these people in the shows. We believe the best way to expose them is to hold them up to a harsh light, point our index fingers in their general direction, and mock them mercilessly, take them down a peg or two until they cease to exist in any other form than the shit on our shoes. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joe Hill, and in today's program, we'll bring you all the news that's fit to print, and then some. And today we'll bring you all your favourite segments from the Condition Release Program, including a trip down memory lane for the anti-vax movement, who've been meddling in public health for the best part of four centuries, in which Black Bill Fuckwit said that. Yep, this is going to be an absolute testament to how anti-vaxxers have always been on the wrong always. side of history, Jack. Always. Always. They're so fucking useless. And we remind listeners that our Deeper Dive segment is now recorded separately for release every Wednesday. And this week's Deeper Dive will be looking at the roadmap. Now, there's a loose bit of jargon politicians love these days. They don't have a plan. They have a roadmap for New South Wales emergence from rolling knockdowns featuring a few goodies held in their general direction and the much-discussed, though not clearly enunciated, vaccine passports. Yep, and we're going to save that one for Wednesday, but for now, we've got to get on with the show. That means it's time for the Condition Release Program's Weekly News. And Joel, an arrest was made in Peterborough, South Australia, earlier this week. Australian Federal Police have charged good friend of the podcast, Theresa Van Lashout, for allegedly ordering fake police badges as part of preparation to casually overthrow the government. (laughs) Just, you know, (laughs) any given Sunday. Like you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, bring some drinks. Van Lashout, 49, was arrested after police searched her home at Peterborough in the mid-north last month. Now, police also recovered 470 fake badges. That's a lot. Which have been sent to an address in Cairns and then (laughs) dumped in a creek. Dumped in a creek. Probably yeah. a smart move if you know, it wasn't for those meddling cops. Move. The cops alleged that Ms. Van Lijshout was part of a group which discussed forming an alternative federal police force to arrest politicians and public servants, although police do not believe the group was capable of carrying out the act. Yeah, of course they weren't. They're fucking. Uh, the crate goes. Queensland Joint Counterterrorism Team investigators have not found an impending threat to community safety and have yet to find any evidence the group had the ability to carry out acts they had discussed, mm-hmm. the Australian Federal Police said in a statement. How reassuring. Um, Ms. Van Lyshout, a former teacher, isn't that a pleasing thought too? <laughs> It'd be pretty funny if you were one of her students. You're like, where Miss like Lyshout? Yeah, she's nuts now. Her civics lessons were fantastic. <laughs> uh, a former teacher, as I say, has run as a right-wing political candidate in Western Australia for Clive's mob early on. Oh, yeah. And uh, One Tracks Nation too. Well, she dropped uh, Palmer or she got the flick from Palmer very very quickly. Um, she's been charged with impersonating a Commonwealth official, Australian Federal Police Officer, mm. and importing a prohibited import. She faced mm. court in Adelaide on Thursday last week and will next appear in October. She was remanded, wasn't she? The remanded in custody, that's right. Mm. Perth man Marcus Jensen, 49, from the suburb of Chewett Hill, has already faced court charge with impersonating an Australian federal police officer over his alleged involvement in the group. Police became interested in the group after a video began circulating on social media showing a man holding a recruitment meeting for an alternative police force. The man, uh, who is falsely said to be AFP Commissioner Reese Kershaw in the video's description, is heard discussing plans to train officers in order to arrest MPs and bureaucrats. Yeah, that was all over Telegram. It popped up a lot and I sort of ignored it because I hate videos and watching videos is just time-consuming and boring. People were getting really excited about it and I thought, Oh, fuck, here we go. Obviously, it's misinformation, and now they're being arrested for it. Congratulations, idiots. Yeah, police do not like people impersonating 
you know, they yeah, they just make a big deal do of it. not like it. Call them, call them crazy. They just don't go for it. I once actually found this really nice, like, New South Wales police jumper, and it was awesome. It was like in a council cleanup thing. I thought, this is the coolest thing ever. I could use this for, like, a dress up party. And then I thought, actually, no. And I threw it away. I was like, this is is, is kryptonite to my freedom. So, Teresa Van Lashout and her ever diminishing group of followers believe she is the true Governor General of Australia. One of them is a big Betfair punter, which is pretty funny. Um, A position Miss Van Lashout allegedly claimed to have appointed herself to this year, subsequently issuing a Arrest warrants as the Governor General for politicians and officials. I don't think yeah, that's the she, role of Governor she, General, uh, though. That's not really became, how it works. She appointed herself Governor General on the steps of Victoria State Parliament, I think, from memory yeah, around about that's February. Right. Long group of police officers standing there looking, oh my God, have a listen to this idiot. It was a little bit like <laughs> the life of. <laughs> a little bit like that Life of Brian scene with all the false prophets. And, yeah. there, and there she was just screaming and yelling and the cops just rolling their eyes. Uh, but, look, there, there appears to be no evidence that uh, that they uh, had any ability or she had any ability to carry out these threats. But that doesn't really matter. Uh, well, no, it, it does, of course. I mean, in terms of seriousness, it does. But in terms of triggering counterterrorism laws, it's basically having that planning and design is the, is part of the problem. They're not famous for their sense of humour when it comes to this sort of stuff. Yeah. So, look, impersonating Commonwealth officials, they do get really nasty about this. And the potential mm. misuse of AFP badges is something we take very seriously, said the cops, which is reflected in the ongoing investigation and action taken today. And it is, for mine, the first occasion I know of where anti-vaxxer, anti-lockdown activists have been subject to a tap on the shoulder from state and federal CT or counter-terrorism squads, Joe. Yeah, well, we've given you the relevant facts, but now we have to let the criminal justice system do what it does. The wheels of justice turn so slowly. And we'll keep an eye out uh, on all of that. But in our 600-year-old legal system, she is entitled to the presumption of innocence. And while we'll keep an eye on proceedings, which promised to be spectacular given her soft-sitting, pedo-obsessed ramblings in the past. She's about to get a first-hand education of our courts at work, Joe. Not her we-the-people courts, but actual courts with juries, judges, verdicts and sentences. And speaking of courts, Joe, Craig Kelly, bit of bad news coming his way. The text uh, spam... Maniac oh, might have mate. just fallen afoul of the TGA. Best news all week. Honestly, like everyone has got the shits of Craig Kelly as he completely overstepped the mark in not only spamming everyone's phone inbox with the bloody ridiculous text message, but the link that led to that fake TGA page was a bit too much. I mean, yeah, it was. I didn't see it coming, but the medical regulator is considering legal action against Craig Kelly. And this is, of course, as you say, after the controversial MP has flooded these text messages across the country. They were completely unsolicited. The views on COVID-19 were not only misleading, Mm. but they were intentionally misleading. Intentionally misleading. I I don't think there's any doubt about that. And and also, I'd say that, uh, look, just... uh, I came across a number of readers in my column who actually believed that it was TGA material. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and it was, but it was completely decontextualised. And so they thought this was all Craig Kelly was doing was li- linking to TGA data. One of my very good friends, Jess, she was saying to me that one of her mates, a naturopath, was telling her patients that this was the case. Because yeah. she'd received this, she clicked the link, she saw the numbers, and she was alarmed. And if those numbers were real, they would be alarming. But they're not. They're out of context and they're complete bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So we've got 
got here Therapeutic Goods Administration boss John Skerritt, who's joined a chorus of Australians infuriated by the text messages. Let's face it, it's fucking almost everyone. Everyone is angry about this. He quite rightly accused of spreading false information about vaccine data, which is exactly what happened. Good to see that he's taking it seriously with these sort of moves, though, because the Mm. texts that are funded by mining magnate Clive Palmer through the United Australia Party includes this link, which goes to the political group's website, and it lists these adverse reactions to the jab in this table that looks, it's got the branding from the TGA, but it's a fake creation from the UAP. It's formatted for mobile. It's kind of obvious if you look at it. It is. It looks a bit. It, lo- it looks a little bit dodgy, but it, it, but not enough to fool a lot of people. And that's and, of that's, people. and that's the shame. So so basically, uh, the TGA has issued a statement where they've said they are considering whether the use of the information, including the TGA logo, in this way potentially breaches both copyright legislation and the Criminal Code. Act 1995. I like the criminal part. That gets me very excited. The TGA is very concerned about any information which provides an incorrect picture of the safety of COVID-19 vaccines, particularly if that information is distributed widely to the public. Information on the DAEN, the TGA statement said, the DAEN is the database of event notifications. So that's where a lot of the confusions come. It's like that's, that's where the context needs to be returned to this stuff. I mean, it's a bit late now. Uh, Information on the DAEN cannot be used to evaluate whether a medicine or vaccine is safe. That's the TGA saying that. And we encourage that. That is the TGA as well. We encourage people to rely on credible information sources when making decisions about vaccination. There's a little bit of a backhander for Craig there. We encourage (laughs) people to rely on credible information sources when making decisions about vaccination. Not- if they were going to be really cruel, they would have said, not furniture salesmen if you don't mind. Yes, and not um, casual white-collar criminals who have more court cases than fucking breakfasts. Yeah, look, the UAP website, masquerading as a government site, lists 448 deaths as a reported outcome after Pfizer and or AstraZeneca doses uh, have been administered, but fails to include information about the actual cause of the deaths. Mm-hmm. And Professor Skerritt told the ABC on Wednesday that all these deaths are in investigated by independent panel as they are because they want to know everything that happens and they're very public and transparent about it which is the reason why all this information's out there and found that nine of those deaths which are tragic in themselves could be attributed to the vaccines and those nine deaths are, are a tragedy. We're not in any way minimising them. No. To say there's 448 of them is complete horseshit. That's the proper context. That's right. So I mean, Skerritt went on to make, uh, draw a number of parallels between Panadol, for example. He said you would yeah. find hundreds, if not thousands, of adverse events with Panadol, some of which are related to the Panadol, but the vast majority, again, will be coincidental in time. You know, I've taken Panadol. I had a headache. Like me taking Panadol and then getting really pissed. I had a headache. I took some Panadol and then I fell over and then I got drunk and fell over and uh, I got a scrape on my knee. Maybe yeah. maybe Panadol leads to abrasions, but uh, <laughs> of course that doesn't work that way. Look, no. I, I'm actually told, Joel, I've got a little bit of advice uh, from uh, a few of my journalist mates saying that the, the TGA is rare to go. They are very, very angry here. What might happen is, uh, as we as we got from their statement, is uh, the provision of fines for breaches. Boring. Um, of, of copyright and so forth. I the other jail. one is... A criminal conviction in the federal court, which major. would be a major setback uh, for uh, our, our furniture salesman friend of the program uh, seeking to be elected or re-elected in the in the 
in the next parliament. And we still don't know if he's going to try and do the insane move of trying to win Hughes by just buying the seat with immense amounts of money and volunteers on the ground, or if he's going to go in the Senate. You've got to go in the Senate. Senate. Yeah, You've got look, to, because otherwise it's political suicide. But who knows what Craig's got planned for him. Well, who knows? But if you, I mean, if you've been in the reps, you'd never want to go to the Senate. You'd never want to go to the Senate. And in other news, uh, the roadmap for our post-lockdown future has been released, uh, and it then includes a New South Wales vaccine passport trial. Freedom Day. Freedom Day. Woo! Freedom Day's coming. I can't wait. I've got to get a haircut, man. I, I, I'm looking like <laughs> fucking Tiny Tim here. Jesus oh, fucking great. Christ. You look great. I don't oh, need a haircut. Man. I've got no hair. It's I fine. I hate having long hair. I hate having <laughs> long, thick hair. I want, all, I want to be bald like you, Joe. Fuck you, uh, Jack. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Need to go to the hairdressers. Need to go to the park. Yeah. Need to get some social activity going on. People ring me up these days, you know. Normally what would have been a two-minute abrupt conversation, I end up sort of spilling my guts out for the next two hours. And everyone else is the same. We're, we're all bloody psychiatrically bloody disturbed here and we need to put an end to it. And that means sometime next month, uh, the New South Wales government will roll out a vaccine passport trial, allowing users to enter pubs, cafes and restaurants. Other states will almost certainly follow suit and have talked about it, but haven't talked about it in any great detail yet. Vaccine passports, at least for the next few years will be required, I imagine, for domestic and international air travel. They may even for a time allow people bearing them to cross state borders while those without them cannot. So they're going to be pretty serious, but it's just so vague. Anyway, if you think about it, access to theatre, cinema, any social yep. activity conducted indoors where there's groups of people may well be subject to consumers producing their vaccine passports. Do you think this is going to increase the quality of patrons at certain things? Like, you know, you're going to find like a, just a higher class of people <laughs> at the pub, at the theatre, you know, just less fuckwits. I don't know. I don't less, know. Le- less chatting and playing on phones in the cinema would do me. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, it'll be an interesting social study. Uh, that, it, um, uh, that'll be, be one to keep an eye on. Yeah. yeah, the business of vaccine vaccination passports will limit what the unvaccinated can do socially and may well add to constraints on employment and employment opportunities. And while the federal government supports vaccine passports and stores the health records on vaccinations for all Australians, Australian business will make the call. There's no legislation, state or federal, required. It's all administrative. So there won't be yeah. any jumping up and down in the parlance. These things can just be done administratively administratively, really, by edict. And two yep. weeks ago, Prime, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said, the sheer fact of it is, if you're not vaccinated, you represent a greater public health risk to yourself, to your family, to your community, and others about you. So it's only sensible that people will do sensible things to protect their public health. A business under property law, he went on to say, has the ability to say, no, you can't come in, and they can ask for proof of vaccination. That's a legitimate thing for them to do, and they're going to do that to protect their own workers, to protect their other clients. Absolutely. And this is the thing when it comes to anti-vaxxers and vaccine passports is that Mm. they love to say that it's illegal and they say over and over again, it's illegal. You can't do this. It's illegal. Name the law, idiot. You know who's saying that? The fucking Prime Minister (laughs) who can pass laws. The Australian Constitution (laughs) guarantees you no fucking protection from this. Fair amount of decent legal advice at his disposal. Not a lawyer. Just casually. But uh, Got some no, but good, they are. Got some good lawyers. They are lawyers. On his and side, yeah. If, if, if the thing is, if what he's doing is illegal, they'll just pass a new law and then it stops being illegal. So I just don't get the mindset with these people. No, that's right. They just don't understand how the law works, that's all. While uh, the UK is further advanced in terms of their vaccine rollout here, 
um, basically they're, they're not that uh, f- further advanced in terms of vaccine passports and so forth. Okay. Um, they're going to introduce them by the end of this month, September, uh, permitting access to indoor venues, but they're really, really cloudy about what they're going to do. The Welsh have said no uh, to vaccine passports, and in Scotland, the Scottish Labor Party opposes vaccine passports, and in Northern Ireland, no decision has yet been made. Slow slow out of the blocks there. Um, But uh, businesses in England and Scotland fear a chaotic response to the introduction of vaccine passports in England. Yeah. It's hard the to Nighttime Industries Association has said plans for vaccine passports could, quote, cripple the industry and see nightclubs facing discrimination cases. I'll tell you why that's going to happen, though. It's because nightclubs are populated by fuckwits. So it's just going to, like, no one's going to turn up. Yeah. Like, yeah. The look, Venn that, that, diagram right, of anti vaxxers and nightclub people is probably a circle. Look, it, what might happen in the UK may well happen here or in England might well happen here because there will be a lot of these sort of paper terrorism type legal claims made against yeah. businesses. You can there put will. money on that happening. Yeah. So you definitely need some very, very clear instruction on how to proceed with this. Um, There's a lot of babble from the uh, libertarian right about this and how we're creating you know, two-tiered societies and all that sort of stuff. And even the yeah. word apartheid They use the word apartheid, I was going to say that. Very different. Very different. Very different. Um, you disgusting wankers. It's the same thing as using the Nazis. Like, yeah, I mean, come on, don't rely on awful. horrible historic events to push your bullshit petty agenda. The problem I have with the vaccine passport is not the passport itself, but the way governments communicate these things and why businesses or just no one's telling people, this is what you yeah. get. There's this no is what you will. These are the benefits. Well, so the idea of go. a vaccine passport is basically aimed at the young to say, "Look, you know, COVID will have, will affect you too. So here's stuff that you can do that you can't yeah, currently do. And we yeah. know you're pissed off about that. So get vaccinated, and then you'll have this little app on your phone and be able to flash it up wherever you go, and uh, and and be allowed in." Do whatever you like once you're in there. Yeah. In New South Wales, they're doing it. They're, they're, you know, it's so so you know vague. But oh, we we think we'll do a two week pilot. This is a New South Wales customer service minister. <laughs> customer service minister um, Victor Dominic. What a great portfolio. <laughs> thank you for your <laughs> thank you for your service, Victor. And he so he's trying to organise a two week pilot. There's even discussion about where it's going to be in low. Uh, COVID areas in Sydney okay. um, that will, you know, basically allow pubs, uh, pubs, cafes, etc., to open up a small number of them. You know, the passport would appear on the Service New South Wales app. Probably one of the best government apps I've ever come across. Is it's been Service good. It's been good. App. My go is a fucking nightmare, but Service New South Wales isn't so bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, and of course, we can expect plenty of legal argy bargy based on claims of discrimination. We just talked about there the use of the apartheid word. Just all yeah, oh, there's going to be all the yellow stars in public and all that yeah. shit. Just don't do that. Any vexes are not going to go away when that happens. Money. I'll do anything for you. And today's conditional release program is proudly brought to you today by Teresa Van Lyshout's cookbook, Cooking for Demolay Freemasons. <laughs> Dickhead. I've received an advanced copy in this beautiful time. Beautifully illustrated. Recipes include little boys for little boys, oh. saveloys on the ball with a slice of butter oh, yeah. bread and slather of tomato sauce. <laughs> oh, fuck. 
I could go some of them right now. Although yeah, Teresa yeah. strongly recommends not looking at those little frankfurts boiling away in a pot. Less the sight of those vaguely phallic, vaguely meaty like tiny sausages force you to sign up to the Demolay Freemasons. Start controlling the world and engage in traffic of literally millions of children for satanic rituals. Yep. That's what they do. A fried chicken. Oh, there's another recipe in the book there. Lip-smacking, finger-licking fried chicken. Every condemned man I've ever known, I've ever read about with their request for their last meal, always, they often go to KFC, but they often, but they always want fried chicken as a last meal before they're shuffled off. <laughs> and uh, and Teresa's got a fantastic rem- rem- recipe. Not remedy. She's got a terrific uh, recipe for it's fried chicken. Not a remedy chicken. for execution. Uh, her secret is buttermilk. Uh, buttermilk huh? and swearing at the breaded chicken pieces before they hit the <laughs> deep fryer. Swearing a lot. The vibrations give it the rippled effect. Oh, it's good. she loves to swear. So She's if you're a cook unit one. and you want a, a few surefire, never fail recipes for large crowds about to be summarily executed without trial at the behest of a self-appointed head of state, get yourself two copies of Teresa Van Weishout's cooking for Demolay Freemasons. That's right, <laughs> two. One for you and one for that special friend who was a filthy pedophile. Because, well, you don't need any evidence. No, Everyone's no, a pedophile. Everyone. everyone, especially those at the top. And even pedophiles need to eat before they face a fair trial of their peers before we hang them in the morning. To be fair, we should hang them, but not based on the idea that anyone you disagree with is a pedophile. And if you're successful, Joel, in today's which black-pilled fuckwit said that, you'll receive a cooking lesson. Courtesy of Teresa Van Lyshat. What better way to learn how to poach an egg that soft, perfect consistency than being screamed at and sworn at and called a pedophile? She loves the word maggot as well. She's really big into the word maggot. She is really. Everyone's a maggot. She's very funny. (laughs) So that's what's at stake here, Joel. Bit of carrot today. Got to get them all right, of course. And we're going back into history now. We've got a little bit of a history lesson in Black Bell Fuck with this this uh, episode uh, because there's so fucking much of it. And here's the first quote. Vaccination is a barbarous practice and one of the most fatal of all the delusions current in our time, which was a long time ago, mm. but still relevant now. Was that, speaking of cooking shows, Pol Pot. Not just a clever name. Loves to cook. Loves to yeah, cook. Yeah, oh, yeah. Throw them all in your Pol Pot. Uh, was it Solomon the Magnificent, the Ottoman Empire's longest-serving ruler and wear of a turban so large you could park a small car underneath it. Ah. Really is superb. I think it might be Suleiman the Magnificent Turban. Um, <laughs> but really, isn't a wonderful thing we've had Ivan the Terrible City. And wouldn't it be just be that to be that ruler? You were known as the Magnificent. I would be Joel the Average at best. I'm sure. Was it Mohandas Karamshand the Mahatma Gandhi, or was it financier, statesman, empire builder of British South Africa? And probably the man who go, who brought us apartheid in a real sense, Cecil Rhodes. I believe it's the Mahatma Gandhi because I think you asked me this one before. Give the game away, haven't I? <laughs> really, really badly. And yes, it was in fact Mahatma Gandhi. Yes, when we talked about him swigging on his own piss, which is entirely his business. And no yes, one should, it is. Yeah, yes. no one should interfere. The man wants to sit down and drink an icy cold schooner of his own piss. That's his business. Question two. The small smallpox vaccine won't just stop smallpox. It will give you syphilis. That's a grounds for concern. <laughs> it is. <laughs> 
been uh, keeping an eye down there just in case, but uh, <laughs> keeping keep an eye out for shankers. But that was a statement made many, many years ago, centuries ago, in fact. Uh, but was it uh, from Benjamin Franklin, mm. the man who sits on $100 notes in the US and the $100 greenback? Or was it? POTUS 1, George Washington. I call him Georgie. We're mates. Was it Montreal physician Dr. Alexander M. Ross, MD? Ugh. Or was it Montreal physician Dr. J.B. McConnell? Well, I mean, look, you said that it was centuries ago. I feel like you're going to fuck me and they're going to be these Montreal physicians. I don't even know if Montreal was a thing centuries ago. So I'm going to say Benjamin Franklin, and I'm going to be very upset with you when you say it's one of these dumb physicians. No. No, it was Montreal physician, Dr. Alexander M. Ross, MD. Mm. And this relates to the last great outbreak of smallpox in a major city anywhere around the world, anywhere in the Western world, shall we say. Uh, and that was in Montreal in, I think, 1885. There were riots uh, over um, uh well, the Canadian government or the, the, the provincial government at the time mandated vaccinations for smallpox, and that caused all sorts of problems. Oh, dear. Um, History repeating itself. Montreal at the time, and to a very large degree today, was one side, of the, one side of the city was English, and they were happy to be vaccinated and, and also well-to-do, so we're dealing with sort of middle and upper class. And then the French side of, of the city, and the French have always had a bit of a problem with vaccines. They've got very, very low vaccine rates in France They're going right fucking now. nuts over there. Uh, and uh, they took to the streets uh, and, um, and, and and caused an enormous riot where, where hundreds of people were killed. Um, the, the, the outbreak of smallpox... Uh, the last, as I say, in a major western city in Montreal. So you've missed out on the cooking lesson from Theresa Van Lysa. But, <laughs> I feel like um, she'd do a very ill job on Zoom from jail. Oh, just, or just, Cisco just WebEx screaming at you, screaming at you that you're a pedophile you and a maggot. maggot. <laughs> you fucking maggot. Anyway. <laughs> All right, here's the quote. Question three. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Tony Fauci. And don't listen to your doctor. Well, that's sage advice. Was well, that Tony Fauci? Speaking of yourself in the third person, we've discussed this before, uh, which is only permitted uh, by Australian Test cricketers. Was it Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Was it Robert F. Kennedy Sr.? Or was it Joseph P. Kennedy Sr.? Well, I mean, there's a couple of uh, issues there. Um, look, fuck it. It'd be quite a funny if it was Tony Fauci. <laughs> it wasn't Tony Fauci. And I think you did know. And I think you've just been very, very kind. It was Robert F. Kennedy Jr., of course. Um, and uh, Where would Robert F. Kennedy Jr. say, don't listen to me? That's the thing that I love about this. But the other ones are dead, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., of course, uh, one of the gun-shy Kennedys. And, yes. And, uh, and, his, uh, and his father, Joseph P. Kennedy, who was, was an old crook, an old bootlegger and, uh, with, uh, with organised uh, crime connections up the wazoo. Would be about uh, 150 now. Uh, yeah, and not an anti-vaxxer as far as we know, although he did subject his uh, one of his daughters to a... Um, Lobotomy, uh, which, oh, which wow. left which left uh, her uh, uh, basically uh, a vegetable for the rest of her life. He's a ter- the old Jay Kenny was a terrible piece of work, and and uh, yeah, he subjected uh, his uh, his oldest daughter to this. She she suffered from 
uh, what we would consider to be fairly um, um, simple mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. And uh, because that was a little embarrassing for him, um, he, uh, he he chugged uh, the daughter off uh, away for some experimental brain surgery that left her as a vegetable for the rest of her life. The answer, of course, was Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a friend of the program. Not a friend of the program, <laughs> actually, an absolute piece of shit. Yes, but, he should uh, be tried for war crimes. That right. quote, don't listen to me, don't listen to Tony Fauci and don't listen to your doctor, comes from an hour-long video called Medical Racism, the New Oh, have you seen that? Yeah, I haven't looked at it and I refuse to, but that, that was it was produced by Kennedy uh, and where he's basically trying to uh, convince uh, – I mean, this, is, this isn't COVID, uh, this isn't COVID vaccinations. This is, he's trying to convince uh, black American parents not to vaccinate their children for what are preventable childhood illnesses. Because Absolutely. he's a terrible piece of shit. Just a terrible you, – you probably – look, you're all – your grandfather was awful, but I reckon I reckon you're right up there. I reckon you could easily be as bad, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And we do ask listeners to send us an email if they've come across something really, really stupid said by Black Pill Fuckwits. We want your input, listeners. If you've recently come across something posted that is so odd, so bizarre, they can only be appreciated by the criminally stupid, drop us a line. Yep. And we'll send you a stubby holder and some assorted TCRP tatter if you make our lives easier and just send us a quote we can use that which saves us from looking it up and you get a stubby holder. It's, it's a win-win. Uh, the TGA is looking elsewhere at the moment. Hello, Craig. Suck it. So uh, we can get away with this now without fear of, well, you know, nasty letters and what have you. The conditional mm. release program stubby holder is the only stubby holder clinically, clinically proven to keep your liquid refreshment of choice cold and stay cold, even if you're sitting on a banana lounge on the planet Mercury where surface temperatures can reach up to 1,100 degrees Celsius, which is warm. Warm, yep, warm. Certainly shorts weather. Yeah, even uh, in a business meeting, you'd still wear shorts in a situation like that. We did send Elon Musk to Mercury last week and he's not back yet, but he did Good. say he was enjoying a carbon draft, Ugh. but was becoming confused because a day on Mercury is about 15 minutes long. And then it's bedtime, you have to get up 15 minutes later, eat a hearty breakfast and get on with your work before it's back to bed 15 minutes later. The best so thing about living on Mercury is it only takes about three hours to get a new tool album. So I'm a big fan, big fan. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, uh, you get about, you get about 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes daytime, 15 minutes night. And the conditional release program stubby holder is available only by prescription through your doctor or GP. Although you can get one under the counter if you know where to look. Don't ask us. Just give us a knowing wink and the secret Demolay Freemason <laughs> handshake, and we'll line you up with one in discreet packaging for a modest fee. And we kick off uh, this week's anti-vax update with the stats: and forty-one point seven percent of the world's population has received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. 5.66 billion doses have been administered globally and 30.77 million are now administered each day. Numbers are actually declining. It was 40 million three, three months ago. Ugh. Only 1.9% of people in low-income countries have at least one have received at least one dose and we keep pointing that figure out because it's very, very low and it's not going anywhere. 
And meanwhile, in Australia, 22.2 million doses have been administered and 33.2% of the nation's population are fully vaxxed. That's, that's the nation's population of, of those aged 16 or more fully vaxxed. New South Wales continues to lead the vaccination race where 78% of the state's residents have had their first jab and 45% are fully vaccinated. In Victoria, 65% of Victorians have rolled up their sleeves once and a total of 40% fully vaxxed. In the Sunshine State, has given 55% of people one dose. That's up 3% since last week and 37% have had both. A total of 58% of South Australians have answered the call to get vaccination, uh, vaccinated and 40% have finished both doses. Western Australia have now moved past Queensland. That sounds a little bit ominous. We're there, 30, 56% with first jab, 37 fully vaccinated. The ACT, 73%, God love them, and 50% fully vaxxed. And the top end, 59% with at least one dose, 42% fully vaxxed. And Tasmania, going beautifully too, 65% of people with a one dose and 48% fully jabbed. Uh, and that's, uh, we're getting there. It's just slow. Yeah, getting there. And look, one of the things that bothers me, look, you know, Dan Andrews took a big wild swing at um, at Scott Morrison during the week about uh, about uh, um, Pfizer doses being given preference or New South Wales being given preference for Pfizer doses. And that was fair enough and I can understand his frustration. But that sort of stuff just tends to emphasise that AstraZeneca is, is a second-rate vaccine. And we really yeah. don't want to be doing that. AstraZeneca is a fantastic vaccine. You would say that, AstraZeneca boy. Yeah, look, the, the young you are, obviously listen to your GP and all this sort of stuff if you've got any sort of pre-existing condition. But really the the risk side of uh, AstraZeneca is almost almost uh, gone to zero now. Um, yeah, and it's the same sort of thing happened with, yeah, clearly the government, federal government, has got questions to answer about its vaccine rollout. And we do know the stories rolled out or we had sort of confirmation of what we already understood about the, the Pfizer balls up. How Pfizer had basically gone to the federal government and said, we'll sort you. We'll do it. You know, you just sign sign here and we'll give you everything you need. And the federal up? government said no and then dallied <laughs> and, you know, got to the end of the queue. Why and that, do that? that deserves condemnation and it, does, and it deserves investigation and all that sort of stuff. But what it also does is reinforce this issue that AstraZeneca is somehow, um, you know, the the prick relation, the poor relation of, of Pfizer, and that's simply not yeah. the case. Yeah. So basically, okay. in terms of vaccine supply, we got we got plenty. So go and get it. Now, Joel, you've been having a look at these fucking lawyers. You're almost an one yourself, and uh, you've been having a look Ugh. at these lawyers and uh, involved in what we might call slightly iffy lawsuits on behalf of yes. the anti-lockdown, anti-vax brigade. I spent most of my week doing a constitutional law essay that has left me with square eyes and an empty soul. So I haven't <laughs> been paying too much attention to the movement this week. Uh, you have to forgive me for my lack of uh, coverage here, but you just have to look at these lawsuits and think, wow, what we are heading in? into funny legal territory because the lawsuits that seek and have sought to challenge the mandatory vaccination rules, otherwise known as no jab, no player, at least that's what Buckley calls it, are finally making movement toward the dustbin of history, of course, because mm. they have no legal merit. After collecting several hundred thousand dollars from low-paid aged care workers, 
Buckley finally lodged in the Supreme Court and he's being heard on the 14th September. I think it's a directions hearing just like the one that we saw last week at 9am, which could be any time because, you know, they just do whatever they want. And we'll keep you posted on that one. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm very vague on the details of that. But last week, the directions hearing for the case led by Tony Nikolic from AFL Solicitors was streamed live on YouTube to about 50,000 viewers. I was one of them. Uh, yeah, I, I had it, uh, sort of. I was actually in a constitutional law lecture at the time, so I had it just sort of put up. But there's no uh, subtitles for live broadcasts. It's really frustrating. So I just sort of paused it and left it. But I still added to the numbers, and it would be yes. by far and above the most viewers to ever tune into a, a like a basic boring directions hearing in history. It's pretty boring stuff, right? <laughs> the directions hearing is just basically okay. What are you going to do? And what are you going to do? All right, yeah. and let's yeah, do that by then, and you know, and that's it. And then, it's uh, really boring. Yeah. It's nothingy at best. So I was going to say, and this might blow some of your minds, it blew my mind. At time of recording, it's probably gone up since then. The YouTube video of the directions hearing had 466,000 views. And I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on, a, on a ledge here, Joel, and say most of those people are going, what, what's happening now? What's happening? Yeah, exactly. What, what, what did. What? What They're did probably you mostly say when I, when I asked what's happening now? Because, like, look, let's face it. There's not that many people who give a fuck in Australia. And we are becoming this weird spectacle. For people in the US, maybe the UK as well, I haven't really seen it so much, that, like, our lockdowns are tyrannical. And we're these freedom fighters in the courts who are actually just a ragtag bunch of lunatics relying on crowdfunding to launch absolutely doomed legal challenges with plaintiffs who are going to absorb the costs that are inevitably going to be found against them on, on the part of the New South Wales government. So, like... The entire thing's insane, and the world has gone mad, and the world is watching us going mad while they're going mad watching us. The entire <laughs> thing makes no sense, and the fact that the directions hearing got that many views is actually weird. It's so very weird. One of the cases which is being scheduled to be heard is between New South Wales Police Officer Belinda Hocroft and Health Minister Brad Hazard, because they love naming Brad Hazard for some weird, like, pilled reason. Mm to argue that mandatory vaccine requirements are unnecessary and that regular testing would suffice, which is way less insane than I expected. So what I was expecting was the whole thing of like, you know, the Nuremberg Code, vaccines are poison, there's graphene oxide in them. But basically what she's arguing, from what I can see, is that you don't need to have a mandatory vaccine requirement because if you just do regular testing, especially rapid antigen testing, which all of these guys say on Telegram that doesn't work, they're like, no, 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 no. in this situation, bro, you can do, you can do rapid testing. It's all sweet. It's just an exception to the rule. So that's the thing. And it's not a bad argument in theory, but legally it doesn't seem to mean much because the parliament kind of gets to do it at once because that's the basis of our constitutions. So Hocroft claims that she's not against vaccines as such. However, I am concerned about the long-term effects of COVID-19 given they are relatively new vaccines. You know what? COVID-19 has long-term effects. COVID-19 vaccines don't seem to, not so far. We've had them for a year. Nothing's happened. But this, look, let's face it. This is the script for anti-vaxxers read from. I'm not anti-vax. I just believe in choice. I'm not anti-vax. I just think experimental gene therapies are bad. I'm just against experimental gene therapy, yeah. Fuck off. I mean, like, it's just bullshit. So the Hocroft hearing at the Supreme Court is scheduled for 9 a.m. on the 16th of September. I'm totally going to be watching and apparently 466,000 other people too. Because basically what's going to happen on this is it looks like the plaintiffs will bring forward this array of cherry-picked experts who will be very funny saying how ivermectin works or blah, blah, blah. 
there's a pharmacist who's guaranteeing the test somehow. Basically, they're going to try and peel the judge and get this over the line. And it'll be fascinating to see how they react because realistically, I can't see a legal basis to this. Generally speaking, well, that's just it's it. just it's just like, I don't want to do this. Can we have an alternative? Which is something you tend to send like a letter to your minister about, not take to the fucking Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's actually sort of a, a childhood tantrum uh, expressed as a sort a of legal claim. And, and so... I, the judge will not go, oh, gee, I'm really impressed how quickly you can get these antigen tests uh, uh, done. You know, I mean, uh, basically, yeah. it, it, it's not going to come down to that at all. I mean, it's no. just ridiculous stuff. It's, it, it basically can an employer insist that in, an employer is vaccinated and, and that, bearing in mind that that, that that employer holds a very special uh, place in New South Wales, and it's the New South Wales Police Force. Yeah, um, and Fair and- Work have said they can. It's been discussed. I mean, like you know, yeah. this yeah. is such it's such a show Bad trial. Life. This entire thing's a clown show. Yes. So-, so, and that wasn't all though. There were other no. things. No, there was definitely other things. So look. When it comes down to it, you've got this situation where people are being posed an ultimatum by this mandatory jab. It's requiring various occupations to get vaccinated. Some of them are coming up right now, you know, like aged care. They have to be vaccinated basically now to keep their jobs. So in the conversation surrounding these lawsuits, I have not seen a lot of law discussed. Most of it has, as you said, just been childhood tantrums. Yeah. And they're kind of stopping short. They're saying antigen tests are okay. We'd rather the vaccine. You know what they want to say is the vaccine's going to kill them. It's the mark of the beast. And the entire thing is a population control strategy. But they can't say that in court entirely, except for one of them, which is Sergei Nomenko, who was self-represented and was basically entertainment of the day, who clearly had no idea what was going on. Just has no idea what's going on. Just (laughs) out of his depth. And who, like, why was he not talked out of this? He basically, like, and this is a good idea. The state of New South Wales requested his case be summarily dismissed on the grounds it was misconceived, which is a really nice way of saying it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. But the full quote goes, And this is from Jeremy Kirk SC. So, you know, New South Wales has got a silk. Quote, there are just so many problems with this case. It's difficult to know where to start. That's that's not good. (laughs) There's no name defendant. There is no articulated legal claim. Okay, cool. Rather, there is a set of aspirational orders, which to a significant extent are entirely misconceived, such as that the plaintiff is an immediate family be exempted from microchipping. (laughs) It was also written on the back. Of a TAB betting ticket. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, not quite, but it was just, you can see Jeremy Kirk just having a bit of fun with this. Uh, he's going, look, yeah, that, I think that was number two on the statement of claim. Uh, yeah. That they, yeah, it's up there. They'd be exempted there. from microchipping. Oh, and look, dear. if they dismiss the claim, maybe it will save Nomenko from a giant cost order from basically yeah. paying people That's way his above best. his pay grade his to be option. reading documents basically transcripts from bit shoot videos saying how ivermectin's good, how vaccines are bad, blah, blah, mark of the beast. You know this sort of shit. So he, when they moved to dismiss, protested and questioned on what grounds the case could be dismissed. Well, do you even know what the answer to that question means? <laughs> so far, you clearly have no fucking idea what you're doing. And like, yeah, look, honestly, someone should have just talked him out of doing this because this is it's not a good. bad idea. It's kind of funny, but it's also really... It's Really, I mean, you know, he, an, an adverse cost order, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands going to quite possibly. Guy, if, if it's not hundreds, it's tens, but it's a lot. It's enough to like that would wipe me out. I'd be fucked. So, predictably, 
once Normanco stumbled through the hearing, microchips and all, people on Telegram had their two cents and decided he was a plant to discredit the case, which was either a plant by the government, by the media, you know, various other ridiculous conspiracy theories. I was very surprised they didn't say George Soros sent him. Many also agreed with him, which is pretty funny. It's even funnier than the plant theory, saying that microchips were totally on the cards. And this was actually a really like smart move for him to preemptively block what is about to be a microchip mandate. So he's like like two moves ahead on the chessboard. Eh, not really. So a two-day hearing will be conducted from September 30 for the case brought by Nikolic and his crowdfunded barrister, Jason Harkis, who has form in anti-lockdown litigation in a failed challenge to COVID curfews in Victoria with all these dodgy ties to the legal uh, to the Liberal government down there is, uh, I don't know, as usual, they're getting yeah. in bed with weird looking, people. Looking like we haven't changed the, uh, haven't changed the team list there a lot. No, and, no, yeah. not really, no. So it's going to be a busy month in the Supreme Court, which I personally love because I can't wait to watch it, for all these anti-lockdown and anti-vax nutters who are going to be very nervous about the outcome of this mm. case. Because while I think this is spectator sport and I think it's incredibly funny, with the aged care vaccine requirement kicking in this week, you've got workers who are already facing the prospect of the long settling line and finding a new career. And they're pinning their hopes on this crowdfunded lawsuit, which they've probably donated to, and these pilled expert testimonies. Oh, why don't you just take Ivermectin instead, bro? Wonder watch, and uh, look, it, it just doesn't look good, does it, at this stage? No, it I looks mean, really and, sad. And, and I mean, it looks really sad. That's the thing, that, it, that it's going <laughs> to... It's going to cause a great deal of hardship for a lot of people yeah. who really should have known better in the first place. Well, they were sold a lie. That's what happened. That's the problem, yeah. And uh, if it wasn't completely clear that George Christensen was pilled beyond repair before this week, it's, it's absolutely certain now, Joe. And for those who don't know, George Christensen is a Liberal National Party member for Dawson in North Queensland and has been since 2010. That's over a decade. Well done. He's won four elections in the seat with absolutely stonking huge margins. In the 2019 election, he got 64.61% of the vote on a two-party preferred basis with a swing to him of 11%. Yeah, it was a big swing. It's huge numbers. Yeah, it was a big swing. It was actually marginal. So it was very much in marginal territory, Dawson. And it looked like it was going to be the, the probably one of the first ones to go. And they fucking uh, love him. If, uh, if Shorten had won the election. Um uh, what I can tell you is a lot of the sports funding, a lot of the regional development funding that's uh, uh, come under the microscope since lot of it, millions of it went into Dawson. He's not exactly the cleanest MP in the government, where going way back, he's been nicknamed the member for Manila because Christensen took at least 28 trips to the Philippines between 2014 and 2018, spending almost 300 days there in total, which in itself is quite something, but also compounded by the fact that several staff members of adult entertainment venues claim he was regular and known to be a big spender. Yes, and we know that because uh, that advice was handed to Malcolm Turnbull, who was then Prime Minister, uh, with concerns being raised by the Australian Federal Police about um, oh the potential for compromise, you know. Yes, and I believe he actually passed all those tests, but at the same time, yes, gross, just Gross. It's worth taking into account that Christianship is not just a name, but it's a way of life. He's a devout Christian, and in faith and in love, he married a woman 
He met over there in 2017. She looks Viva like half Lumble. his age. Viva half Lumble. his age. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's lovely. But in April this year, old Georgie boys decided to throw in the towel and not contest the next election, despite the fact he's got a huge lead in the seat. It's basically safe at this point. Not contesting. Yes, look, I, I have said in a, I did say in an earlier program a couple of weeks ago that uh, that he was on the crossbenches. That's not the case. He remains, and I'm sure most listeners will know this, he remains with the government. Yes, he does. Uh, as they're basically their plus one. He's the one that gives them the majority on the floor of yeah. uh, the House of Representatives, and they're not going to do much, indeed anything, in terms no. of disciplining. What no. he can basically do whatever he likes, which right is now, definitely nothing, exercising. Nothing's going to be uh, done by by the Morrison government because it will leave the vulnerable. Yeah, and that's I it. Mean, we're not, we're not talking. We're not talking about you know uh, double dissolution elections and, and and that sort of stuff. What we're talking about is that the government will will cease to have procedural majority. So it's not about the government falling, but it's about the government holding its majority and being able to basically control a parliament, which is very, very important in an election. Getting through the next few months, you know? Mm. They're at the the home stretch. Just, Just get there. Just get there, yeah. In his reasons for leaving, he said that politics just does not seem to be working when it comes to issues that seem to matter to me and many others. Mm. Ominous words. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm not so sure anymore that these issues can be properly fixed by legislation and via the ballot box. Even which more ominous. Yeah. Sounds kind of like terrorism to me. Uh, so basically- Well, the gov- it sounds like authoritarian stuff, doesn't it? You know, It's kind of terrifying. So basically, the government isn't conservative enough for the member for Manila, and he wants to further his influence where it really matters, where he said he would have a, quote, stronger, more unfiltered voice outside of parliament wow yeah more unfiltered like he's been very unfiltered he hasn't had the big filter on <laughs> no no he's like, well, like he's a been fucking, a member of parliament he's been a Winfield Red the filter is there for show only he's so, move on to the camel non-filters yeah okay yeah exactly you get the tobacco in your mouth it's gross I used to love those. Uh, George has a Telegram channel of almost 18,000 people full of incredibly unfiltered material. Yeah. But to be fair, it was actually somewhat controlled by Monica Smith-Martier, who is now in jail, sucked in. Having this sort of, you know, admin influence regurgitating RDA nonsense, but... He was finding his own feet, pushing disinformation with his own branding, still using his title as MP while it lasts. He also did, uh, on a number of occasions, has labelled Monica Smith as a political Political prisoner. Political prisoner. Fuck off. What a tossback. And again, I've come across people who actually come away believing this. You know, it's based on a lie. It's based on a falsehood about the bail application and what was presented uh, by the prosecution and what was was accepted by by the magistrate and the fact that Monica Smith wouldn't accept what were amended and reasonable bail totally conditions. Totally normal bail conditions. Totally normal. It's just a whole fucking story. Absolutely normal. If you look at last week's episode, we wrapped that up with uh, what the grift is, why she's doing it, and how she's doing it. I think someone was saying $50,000 a day in donations yeah. since she's been incarcerated. It's worth the time. It is mm. worth the time. She's also working on a book. Yes, apparently. We've which been is told be that as well. Yeah. Absolutely awful and about 30 pages long. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Got that to look forward to. He's also become good mate to Craig Kelly, finding a common ground in spreading disinformation to these adoring idiots on Telegram. They both are these kind of like loser types who are suddenly becoming cult leaders. But... Great minds think alike. And, you know, those guys are really, you know, ad Edom. They're fucking having a great time. And the latest stunt by Christensen was to go and see some fucking quack doctor and get a prescription for ivermectin, doxycycline, and zinc. 
which is basically your horse paste, your antibiotics, and a bit of expensive piss. Uh, to be fair, I do take zinc now and then. Apparently, it's good for your man parts. I don't know. Worth a shot. And he posted a little photo of his pill packet on Facebook yes. and on Telegram. Saw that. So he's milking the line that Facebook censors posts on ivermectin and COVID. He alluded to the idea the prescription was for some sort of prophylaxis against COVID-19 or some sort of treatment. Much more straightforward on Telegram. He, you know, he really gave the full picture. What his pills actually are is the triple therapy protocol, which is pushed by Professor Thomas Barodi, a gastroenterologist turned folk hero on the anti-vax movement because he's pushing ivermectin and he's got a doctorate. He makes him sound really legitimate. So basically, the triple therapy has ivermectin, doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, and zinc. This is a treatment and a prophylaxis for COVID-19. So basically... Either you don't have COVID and you won't catch it, or you do have COVID and it reduces the symptoms by some crazy amount, like 90% or something like that. The thing that was really funny when I was researching this is it turns out Barodi is a massive fan of triple therapies. He's, just, he's a three kind of guy. Maybe he's the kind of guy who turns off light switches three times to turn them <laughs> off. He developed a triple therapy that actually did something. It cured peptic ulcers. So, I mean, look, it worked from before, right? So in flaunting this bizarre medical choice, very few pointed out what to me seemed like the most fucking obvious elephant in the room. There's no COVID in North Queensland. Like, why are you taking these fucking pills? Like, <laughs> Including antibiotics. I don't get it. Yeah, antibiotics thrash your fucking gut flora. It just, like, you're not sick. Like, thanks to lockdowns, which I'm sure you're not exactly a huge fan of, there's no COVID near you, Georgie. So why are you seeking out a treatment for something that not only you don't have, but you can't even fucking catch? I mean, <laughs> obviously the answer is so you can own the libs and not the liberal party he's a part of, but, you know, like left-wing. Small L liberals, yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing here, man. Like, it's not even a matter of protecting yourself from COVID or treating it if you get it. It's about declaring your political persuasion. Sort of like the like, you know, the drug equivalent of a Trump 2020 bumper sticker that basically creates antibiotic-resistant bacteria, thanks, Georgie, and makes you shit yourself in the fucking supermarket. I mean, <laughs> fuck's sake. So this bullshit dumb stunt triggered the CGA to put a ban down on ivermectin because this idiot was going to inspire others to take medications they simply don't fucking need. Yeah, yeah. In response to this, Christensen, and all these other gronk anti-vaxxers on Telegram are committing yet another act of paper terrorism and are planning yes. to flood the TGA phone lines demanding they reverse the ban on ivermectin. That's, that's scheduled for the 13th, Monday the 13th. Mm. Why? Why the fuck would you do this? So dead shit stunts like this have serious impacts on institutions in Australia. They really do. And they are going to dramatically change the approach law enforcement takes to these sort of collective actions. I mean, look, while these assholes are always the first to decry the selfish union movement for going on strike, yeah. now they're organized. They're feeling a little bit of power. They're behaving like a drunk toddler with a firearm. And this inflicting as much social damage as they can. It's actually disgusting. But part of me is relieved to see that George will not be contesting the next election. We don't need MPs like this. But another part of me absolutely winces at the idea of him as an unfiltered voice in our politics. I mean, I'm hoping that once he doesn't have the letters MP at the end of his name, people just stop listening to him. You know, the media stop taking his calls and he generally just disappears into the echo chamber of peeled idiots in the anti-vax movement on Telegram. But if he's prepared to incite his 
17,000 Telegram members to flood the TGA with calls while he's a sitting member of parliament. I fucking dread to think what kind of shitty stunts he's going to get up to after he's out of parliament and he's unfiltered. And look, honestly, mm. the cops need to knuckle down on this because it is another indication that the future of Australian political discourse at the hands of fucking MPs is going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, we've got a couple of, a couple of real flash Harry's in there at the moment. <laughs> fucking terrifying. And now we bring, listeners, uh, our most recent and newest uh, segment, Famous Last Words. But really, we offer the caveat that if this really was a Famous Last Words segment, uh, and bearing in mind the conditional release program's occasional fixation, occasional fixation with the assassination of the US of US presidents, it would feature the words of POTUS 35, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, JFK, who said, it's such a lovely day in Dallas, why don't we take the top down and go for a drive? Ooh, I'm glad that we don't have too much of a US audience because you're not making friends, Jack. Well, yeah, not making friends with Americans. Americans take a dim view of outsiders cracking gags at their assassinated presidents. Why don't they stop talking about our lockdowns then? You cannot get a laugh uh, in the continental US of A on the assassination of JFK. Too soon, they'll they'll scream. In fact, it's actually too soon to wisecrack about the assassination of James Garfield. And that was in 1881. Mm. Maybe another 50 years before we can even talk about McKinley. You can, however, have a laugh at Abraham Lincoln's assassination. 150-plus years is okay. One thing I know about James Garfield is he hated Monday. (laughs) Love lasagna. Love lasagna. No, 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 no. Different, different guy. Different, different guy. I mean, yeah, that's the sort of thing that led to... The casting of Bill Murray as Garfield the Cat. Uh, that sort of misunderstanding. Yeah, well, of course, as we all know, Abraham Lincoln, if I'm going to. If I'm going to keep rolling with this joke, I might as well. He said, I'm as busy as buggery with post-Civil War reconstruction, so I could do it a night at the theatre like a hole in the head. Look, I, I agree with them. Some nights you just want to stay home and watch TV. I mean, TV didn't exist, but you know what I mean. I've always said theatre's dangerous, and uh, Abraham Lincoln will back that up. Now, dead pre- <laughs> presidents notwithstanding, we are not in the business of mocking unvaccinated people who have died of associated conditions related to COVID-19 infection. We do not want people to die, and we yeah, remind everyone the best way to avoid an untimely death from COVID is to get vaccinated, please. Yes, please. We definitely do encourage you not to die from a pandemic. It seems really basic. This didn't happen in the movies. So there are, however, people who are influencers. People have used their standing in media or in politics or just on social media to influence others not to get vaccinated. And it's very difficult to feel sympathy towards these people. it is. I mean, look, we can't make these announcements without some satisfaction or relish. And we're trying not to because these motherfuckers, they, they are victims themselves, but also blood on the hands. Yeah, and in this week's famous last words, we have very, very quite sad cases, one in particular. And uh, one is H. Scott Apley. He's 45 and he oh, was, young. not is, he was a member of yeah. the State Republican Executive Committee Stop in Texas. Clock. And he wrote a little while before he died, I hope to live a long time. 
I have a lot of things I want to do and experience with my wife and my friends and my family. Ugh. He pasted those words after he'd attended a funeral of a friend a month before he died of pneumonia. That Apley himself died of pneumonia related oh. to COVID-19 infection. And a week before his death, this is how quickly COVID can get hold of you. A week before his death in June, the GOP official had reposted a mocking commentary about the changing COVID-19 vaccination situation, noting that in six months of the had gone from, and I quote, the vax ending the pandemic to you can still die of COVID if you get vaxxed to the unvaxxed are killing the vaxxed. And now he's dead. Yep. He leaves behind a wife and a newborn son. Ugh. It was avoidable, preventable. He could still be alive to watch his son grow up today. Instead, he fell for the bullshit that the pandemic can be dealt with by ideology. You have to understand how a virus behaves. I mean, that's the critical thing. This virus, any virus, is in many forms, many ways, the purest form of life. does not give a fuck about ideology. It seeks only to find a host where it will multiply before finding more hosts because there is a strong likelihood the host it found first up will die. And that's all it does. Invade, infect, multiply, invade, infect, multiply. Ironically, this is what anti-vaxxers do. (laughs) And that lesson was roughly ignored by another Texan. This is really sad. He was an anti-mask influencer and freedom defender. (laughs) Freedom! Caleb Wallace, dead at 30 and died on August 27. Uh, He fell ill in July. And then we got this from a GoFundMe page. Hello, my name is Jessica Wallace. I am Caleb's wife. Caleb has unfortunately been intubated due to COVID hitting his lungs hard. Caleb has always worked hard to allow me to to be a stay-at-home mom. And now in these (laughs) difficult times, I don't know where to turn. We have three beautiful girls and one more darling that will join us on September 27. Three girls and she's heavily pregnant. That's four kids. Friends and family ask how they can help. And for the longest time, bills were not on my mind. But with Caleb being out for over two weeks, the bills are approaching and we were not... Prepared for this to be happening, I need help with mortgage, water, electricity and necessities for the girls. Anything helps at the moment. I'm trying to prepare for this month and the next. Fuck. And that initial that initial crowdfunding post commenced on August 8th with Wallace in hospital still alive. The last update came through from his wife on August 27, announcing that her husband had died of COVID-19. It had raised over $70,000, so that's something, I suppose. Now, I mean, look, when it comes down to it, we definitely say when it comes to crowdfunding, always be sceptical because these yeah, things can often be a grift. But this isn't a grift. This man did not have to die, and he was the breadwinner for a large family. He was foolhardy, stupidly opposed to basic infection control techniques like mask wearing, and pretty fucking public about it, seeking to influence others to do the same. It didn't work out well, but it's not a death sentence. Man, I've heard of people do horrible things, and I still don't say they should die. Unfortunately, when it comes to fucking COVID, there's no jurisprudence. We can't lobby to end the lethal injection. You fuck up, you find out, and you die, and unfortunately, leaving four kids to fend for themselves. And with that very sad segment over, it's time to laugh again. Aww. The best way to, to do that is to come with us as we do a little astral travelling all the way up to Byron where we can sit on a giant fluffy cloud and watch what's going down with Pete in the week in Pete Evans. <laughs> Thank you.
It has been a huge week in Pete Evans with our dear leader in the Northern Rivers playing some serious 4D chess on his lush acreage in Ukiah. Dude, I do envy him. It's a lovely place. See, Pete doesn't go quiet. When Pete's quiet, it's the calm before the storm. What does that mean? It's the calm. It's the calm before the storm. He's done a few shitty podcasts with disinformation pushes, you know, which he almost certainly threw at his listeners with minimal editing or quality control. I edit the fuck out of these episodes. He doesn't do shit. He just posts these bad quality, completely unedited, just rambles between him and some fuckwit on Zoom. But Pete can keep hitting the lid on things. No more Tucker Carlson videos. His, his Telegram posts are as temporary as they are meaningless, being wiped days after being posted. And something has got to be up. A little man's all growing up. Or growing I don't up, know. Joe. I don't know. I don't think that. I don't think that's it. See, no? aspect of this silence, they make a lot of sense because what's happened here, and I didn't know this. Fucking Pete, man. Pete is always ahead of the game. In the wake of the High Court ruling on whether media companies are liable for their comment sections, it becomes abundantly clear to me, at least, why he turned off the ability for the public to comment on his Telegram feed. Mm. I mean. A few weeks ago, he did this. Maybe even like over a month ago, deleted all threads, which had chatter, all yeah. threads of comments. You might be onto something there. I mean, look, he could hire moderators, but never mind. Oh, I don't think Pete's doing too well financially to hire someone. <laughs> that being said, they're probably volunteers, but they'd be like, no, I think this is legally fine. All it did was suggest that um, an MP was a pedophile, but I think they might be. Oh, yeah, could be true. Yeah, it could be true. Look, like I, I checked it out. I, I, I put in duck, duck, go. So Pete's cleaned out <laughs> in a big way. And his telegram was honestly full of the most ridiculous comments. And some of them were absolutely hilarious. Oh. To be fair, I was relying on a lot of this to still be there just in case there were some slow weeks like this one. But some of them were also really grim, like, you know, a bit sad. You know, people who are really, like, freaked out because Peter's fear merchant and they buy into it. But almost all of them, let's face it, are legal nightmares in the making for Pandemic Pete. I would like to think he sent his lawyers a nice bottle of wine, you know, a nice bottle of something, maybe a nice bottle of kombucha after the high court decision was handed down because, let's face it, he probably can't afford to, but he can't afford not to. The fact that he started doing this preemptively is a stroke of genius and was absolutely legal advice. No question. Why did he randomly turn off comments? He knows that he was this was coming because his lawyers were across it. But the decision to turn off comments indicates not only that he has great legal representation, but that he's keenly aware that his followers are a massive liability. Sure, they're walking wallets and they're best kept cooked and terrified at all times. But what does happen when some idiot in your comment section calls a politician a pedo? Yeah. Like, I utterly detest the defamation laws in Australia. I mean, every episode oh, so of this podcast, Absolutely when we're poor. talking about it, we always keep defamation in mind and we use kid gloves on absolute scumbags like Nathan Buckley because on the off chance they hear the podcast, they'll threaten us with defamation and it's frustrating as fuck. And while the post-truth era has shown we absolutely cannot be trusted with free speech, it is nope. way beyond the scope of our ability. Defamation laws as they exist, are simply a bullying tool for the rich. That's right. But maybe it's for the best in this situation because the comment section on Pete's Telegram was truly a cesspool of conspiratorial garbage and misinformation that pilled normies at a rate even the gronks at Purdue Pharmaceuticals <laughs> would admire. For those who don't know, they're the ones who uh, got... America hooked painkillers. Yeah. <laughs> they're not good people. Going forward, we face a fairly hefty burden on the freedom of political communication we rely on to call Craig Kelly a cunt. And I feel like that implied freedom of political communication is why I can stand here and say that, you know, Clive Palmer is a fuckwit. 
He's a he's a fatty McFuckhead, as you know, as Johnny said. Well, I'd go harder than that, but yeah, I'd go harder than that, but you know, he will. So, so I mean, <clears throat> yeah. This is the quandary we're in. So, do we moderate the comment section at the whim of these powerful pieces of shit who hold these defamation lawyers on a constant retainer, or do we otherwise pray the legislature with the current parliament? who are huge fans of taking defamation actions yep. out on journos and even just mid-rate Twitter personalities with no money. Do we rely on them changing the laws? I mean, come the fuck <laughs> on. Yeah. So it is hard to know what this will do to the political discourse in Australia. This ruling is a landmark one that we're still yet to even look at the impact of. Publishers across the Australian landscape will have to ask themselves an important question when it comes to engaging with the public, which is, what would Pete Evans do? Under these circumstances. Quick. Quick. Everybody, furrow your brows and wonder what Pete Evans would do. You have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider, and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, and if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. Jack can be found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with RK. We set up a Facebook page and a shit posting page you can find fairly easily. It's pretty simple. And please, share the episode. Oh, it helps. We do see a lot of that now. It, it does me old heart glad to see I'm really it stoked too. with you guys. I know you guys do it. I see it yeah, pop up on my little Twitter feed, and I'm just, I really appreciate it. Good on you. We do, we do. And finally, all feedbacks, tips and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, even if it's simply to administer a vaccine that has not only been out of the fridge for a couple of days, but it's actually just a mix of chicken semen ugh, and brine. Oh, that's not so bad. It might still work. Let's give it a shot. It'll be fine. Thanks, listeners. Catch you next week. I'll get on that now. See you, listeners. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers.